with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4, and we're going we're gonna to kind of carry on what we started last week. Uh, I've, I've got to be honest with you, I don't believe I've ever, well I know, I, I'm fairly positive of this, I don't believe I've ever had a response to a message uh, like the message on bitterness. Dealing with bitterness, battling bitterness. Uh, and I, I had more counseling sessions this week, uh, more people coming in with things that uh, just you cannot even imagine. I, a couple things, I just sat there and my, draw, my jaw hit the desk and, uh, and I, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing that somebody had gone through. And I am, I am here to help them forgive somebody and by the time they get through telling me their story, I'm ready to go kill that person. And, and I'm thinking, Lord, how, how do you forgive when you can't forget it? How do you forgive when it hurts so bad? How do you forgive when it absolutely was not your fault? I told Tammy, I told Tammy I was sitting in the dentist chair, and if my dentist or any of their helpers was here this morning, forgive me for saying this, amen. But I was, I was sitting in the dentist chair and, and, and getting one of them teeth cleaning things, and, and, and it was absolutely... Hell on earth. I need a witness from anybody that hates Dennis this morning. And I sat there and sat there and I told Tammy when I got home, I said, God gave me the message while sitting in that dentist chair. She said, what is it? I said, on forgiveness. Amen. I got to learn to forgive for what these people are doing to me. Amen. But I was sitting there thinking about all that's going on. I said, God, I know the cure for bitterness is forgiveness. I know that. Last week we studied that and talked about that. We're not going to rehash that. We all know that bitterness is caused not by the offense, but a wrong response to the offense that came against us. And it builds up. It is a seed. It is a root that builds and builds and builds till it comes a monster in your life that you cannot deal with and it keeps you a slave to its claws. But bitterness can be cured by forgiveness. But the question is, how do I forgive how do I forgive even when I don't want to? That's what we're going to talk about today. So y'all pray for me and ask the Lord to help. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse number 32. Are you there? Say amen. And be ye kind one to another. Say it with me. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... The truth, thank you for the spirit in this place. Lord, I know you're here. I know you're here and I feel you and I, I need to feel you in this one. Lord, I need your anointing power. I need the Holy Ghost to touch my heart. Lord, don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to say, but Lord, don't let me forget anything I need to say. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In studying for the message today, I, I come across two people and 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 that went through the Nazi horror. Uh, one name that I found was Simon Wiesenthal. Uh, Simon Wiesenthal had eighty nine of his relatives killed in the the Hitler's death camps. Uh, Simon went through them himself. He was one of the prisoners in one of the concentration camps and probably seen more cruelty than most of us will ever see in a lifetime. But he was he 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 went on a quest after the the war was over to find Nazi criminals. Spent all of his life hunting down men in their seventies and eighties, trying to uh, bring them to justice and doing everything he can. He lived for it. He, he listen. It was his life. He was consumed with the with the job of finding these war criminals. 
Wisenthal, uh, he was asked, why are, you, why are you hunting men down still after a half century ago? Wisenthal said this, he answered in a book. The book begins with a true experience that he had went through. He himself was a concentration camp prisoner. One day he was yanked out of a work detail and taken to a back stairway to a dark hospital. A nurse led him into the room and then left him alone with a figure wrapped in white lying on a bed. The figure was so badly wounded that, listen, you could not even hardly see his body. His entire face was covered with bandages, and his name was Carl. With a trembling voice, the German made a kind of confession to Wiesenthal. He told how he had been brought up in a Nazi family and fighting that he had experienced on the Russian front and the brutal measures his SS unit had taken against Jews. Then he told of a terrible atrocity. He said all the Jews in one certain town were herded into a wooden building, and then that building was set on fire. Carl had taken an active part in the crime. Several times, Wiesenthal tried to leave the room, but each time the ghost-like figure would reach out and beg him to stay. Finally, after two hours, Carl told Wiesenthal why he had been summoned. The soldier asked the nurse if there was any Jew still existing in that area, and he said if so, he wanted one to be brought to his room so he could clear his conscience. He then said to Wiesenthal, I am left here with my guilt. I do not know who you are, and I know only that you are a Jew, and that is enough. I know that what I am asking is almost too much to bear, too much for you. But without, listen, your answer, I cannot die in peace. Carl asked for forgiveness for all the Jews he had killed. He asked for forgiveness from a man who might soon die. Wiesenthal sat in silence for some time. He stared at the man's bandaged face, and at last, without saying a word, he stood up and left the room. He left the soldier in torment, unforgiven. Unforgiven. You say, well, I can understand that. He, he, he had a right to do that. He, that's what I would have done. Well, Simon Wiesenthal, he wondered if that was the best he could do. He himself was even dissatisfied with his action. He went over it with his companions. He even went and visited the dead soldier's mother. In his book, he writes that he asked 32 rabbis, Christian theologians, and secular philosophers to comment on it. What would you have done? He's just possessed with this. Out of 32 people, out of 32 supposedly theologians, supposed, supposed Bible scholars, out of 32 people that he asked if he had done the right thing, leaving the soldier unforgiven, only six people said he had done wrong. Only six. Now, I don't know about you, but they're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. Out of all 32, only six said he had done wrong. Yet the Bible says we have the responsibility of granting forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Dr. David Seamy said, why are you saying all this? Because I don't blame him. I'd have done the same thing. Here's where the problem arises. Dr. David Seaman in Healing uh, for Damaged Emotions says this. There's only two, two primary causes of emotional stress. Two primary causes of emotional stress. It's either the failure to forgive or the failure to receive forgiveness. You see both of those situations in the life of Joseph. You see Joseph forgiving Joseph having to forgive his brethren for what they did to him, but yet even years after he had forgiven them, when their father died, they were worried that Joseph was going to come back upon them. They had not received forgiveness. Even though Joseph had forgiven them, they had not received it in their heart. And many people sit in torment every day. Many people sit and live a life of bitterness every day because they are unwilling to forgive. They don't want to forgive. They don't want to forget. This man is on a quest. He spent his whole life. He's dead now, but he spent his whole life trying to find something he would never find. 
I don't believe, you say, oh, he was just out for justice. I don't believe that. I believe he was haunted every day by the time and the situation in his life. He did not give forgiveness to somebody who was seeking it with a true heart. You said, but they don't deserve it. Most people don't deserve it. It's not about whether they deserve it. It's about what you need to do to set yourself free from the prison of bitterness in your life. In his whole life, he searched and searched and searched, and he was consumed with the fact of making somebody pay for what happened. You know what? With that being consumed and the way it was, he never could stop and smell the roses. He could never stop and go look at something and enjoy the world that God had given them. All he could look about was what he did not have any longer, but there was so much more to life that was there, but he could not enjoy it because he could not let it go. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. How do we forgive? I I tell you, I was blown away this week with all the things that were brought to me that needed forgiving. Things that I thought, God, how can I tell this person to forgive them? I don't even want to, I just want to wring their necks. God, how can I tell them to forgive? How can I help them forgive? I know that's the answer. I know that's what's needed, but what can I tell them to help them forgive this situation? Boy, God did. I want to give you three quick things, real quick, that will help you forgive this offense. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've gone through. I promise you, I promise you, if you'll listen to me with an open heart, if you really listen to me with an open heart, I guarantee you God will give you the ability to do what you need to do. All God's people saying, amen. Number one, number one, what can I look at? What can I look for that will help me forgive that situation in my life. Help me to forgive the person that hurt me so deeply. What can I do to do this? I looked at three different situations in the Bible that either referred to forgiveness or required forgiveness. And God gave me a couple of things I believe will help us. Number one, I want you to see the, the picture that explains. The picture that explains. If you will go through the life of Joseph, you'll find out that uh, he was, uh, he was, it's an incredible character in the Bible. There were more written about Joseph than Noah. There was more written about Joseph than David. There was more written about Joseph than, than Adam or any of the other uh, main characters in the Old Testament. But there was more written about Joseph and more chapters about Joseph than even creation itself. You say, why was that? Because God was drawing an Old Testament picture of a New Testament Savior. The life of Joseph is the greatest type of Christ in the Bible. He is, listen, he is the greatest picture of Christ in the Bible. God looks at the whole picture. God looks at the beginning from the end. God has already seen the whole deal. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows how it's going to end before it ever starts. And God sees the big picture. And when God sees the big picture, He can easily tell you, you need to forgive because I'm in control. And when it's all said and done, everything will be all right. All we can see is today. All we can see is yesterday and what happened to us. But I'm telling you, if you will see the big picture, it will help you to forgive that brother. He saw the big picture. Well, what is the big picture, preacher? This, this story of Joseph, if you've never read it, oh, it's an intriguing story. It's a wonderful story. You need to read it. Joseph went from one place in his life where he was the father's favorite son, wearing the coat of many colors. He was distinguished as the favorite. There was no doubt in anybody's mind who the golden child was. And we find out he went from that to a pit. He was dealt with roughly and was abused by his brethren, stripped him of his significance in his coat and threw him in a pit and was going to kill him. But God delivered him. Listen, they said, well, we'll just sell him to these peddlers and we'll send him on and get him out of our life forever. He was done extremely wrong by his brothers. 
He went from the peddler to Potiphar's house. He went from, listen, Potiphar's house to the prison because he was lied on and done wrong again in his life. Then he went from the prison and, and now he is in the palace sitting on the throne. And the Bible says that as he was sitting there and as he did what God had called him to do and he was bringing uh, deliverance to all the world, his brothers came in the room. Be sure things will turn around. Say amen. And he is here Second in command of Pharaoh. He is here on the throne ruling and reigning. And now his brother, his brothers come before him. And man, this was some interesting words that were said. The Bible says in Genesis 42, 7, And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. But he made himself strange unto them, watch this, and spake roughly to them. He spake roughly to them. He spake in a gruff voice. And it says, And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. But then it says in verse 9, and Joseph remembered the dream that he dreamed of them. What happened? Joseph, I believe with all my heart, because he's human just like you and me, I believe when he saw his brothers, I, listen, I believe when he saw them, I believe that, that, that memory of that pit rose up in his mind. I believe that memory of being treated in a, an abusive way rose up in his mind. I believe that memory of all that was done to him and all that he had gone through because of their fault and their offense against him. I believe it rose up in his life. And listen, he had anger in his heart, but then God said, wait a minute, Joseph. Don't forget about the dream. But then, everything changed. Everything changed when Joseph saw the big picture. Everything changed when Joseph saw the plan. Listen, the plan that was detailed out. You say, what are you saying? When the next time, when he, when he approached his brothers and made himself known unto them, this is what he said. He said, and Joseph said unto them in verse 19, Fear not, he's talking to his brothers, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. What is you saying? He said this, I see the big picture now. I didn't see it when I was in the pit. I didn't see it when I was in the prison. I didn't see it when you was abusing me. I didn't see it when I was being done wrong. But oh, now I can see the big picture. I can see that God had everything under control. God had a plan for my life. God was behind the scenes moving things and fabricating things and putting it right where it needed to be. I need a witness. And when you see that people in your life they're not necessarily weapons in the devil's hand, even though they try that, even though the devil's behind that. God can take a weapon and turn it into a tool, and God can use the people that have done you wrong in your life to make you more like Christ than you ever was before. And when you get to see them as a tool in the hand of God and not a weapon in the hand of the devil, I guarantee you, you can give them forgiveness. Can you, can you say, hey, they're just a pawn in the Lord's hand. He's making me more humble. He's making me more kind. He's making me more tender-hearted. I don't know if you know how to tenderize things, but the only way to tenderize meat is to pound it and pound it and pound it. Some of our hearts are so, listen, so stale. Some of our hearts are so hard against our brethren that the only way God can tenderize it is to pummel it. Say amen. And God is tenderizing our heart. And boy, when we see the big picture, can you see the big picture? Listen, in the plan that it details, God had a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, 
thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. What are you saying? God's got a plan for your life. God's got a plan for your life. If you can ever back up enough from your emotional anger to look that God has a plan, and these people can't derail it, you can say, hey, God, help me forgive that person. In the big picture that you're looking at, we not only see the plan that is detailed, but then we see the power it displays. The power that it displays. What what are you saying? I went back and looked at it and traced all the situations that happened to Joseph. Now, we know it was bad in every situation. But do you realize God seen Joseph here? Now, you got to get this. I'm going to hurry the best I can, but you got to get this. Joseph is here. God's plan is for him to be here on the throne. God's plan is for him to be here ruling in Egypt so he can deliver people with the gift that God has given him. But Joseph is not on the throne. He is not next in line to Pharaoh. He is not ruling over the world. He is sitting here a younger brother. But God's plan is for him to be over there. Now you say, but what about all the bad things that happened to him? Bad things happen to good people. I do not believe that God ordains cancer. I do not believe that God ordains rape. I do not believe that God ordains murder or any of the other garbage that comes along with evilness and sin. I believe it is a direct curse from the sin in the very original garden. And there are things that happen to us that God did not ordain, but he can turn it around. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, for for all things work together. They work. That word work means to rot or to braid or to weave. What are you saying? God is taking them bad things that the devil brings in your life. God is taking those things that the curses cause. God is taking those evil things that has come your way, those hurtful things that's coming your way, and then he's taking some peace and taking some joy, taking some happiness, and he's weaving it all together. Every bad situation, every difficult circumstance in your life, God is putting it all together for your benefit and your good. Works together. It's working together. God's working it all together for this, for the purpose that God has for you. And that's in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So what did he do? His brothers were bitter and angry against him. And right here, they struck at him. But God turned it around. Because from the pit, he went to the peddler. Listen, they once again tried to do something bad. But where, where, is, where is Joseph supposed to be? Point at it. Where is Joseph supposed to be? Yes. Now, the devil tried to hurt him here. But every step he took, where is he getting closer to? Oh, yeah. Can y'all see it? Well, then from the peddler, he was sold to Potiphar. Now, it just happened to be that Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's main officers. He was not just sold to any Egyptian. He was sold to somebody that was closer to the planned destiny that God had for him. You say, but what about the prison? He got thrown into the prison. But you need to understand, it was the king's prison. It was the place where the king's prisoners were held. Every time the devil tried to hit him, it just moved him closer to where God had planned for him to be. I don't know if anybody's getting help, but it's helping the fire out of me. What are you saying? Everything that happens to you in your life, God will draw you closer to where you want to be, where He wants you to be, where you can have the destined purpose in your life to be what God wants you to be. And you know what gave Joseph the ability not to kill everyone in boys? Because he could have. He could have snapped his fingers and every one of them lose their life. What gave him the ability to feed their youngins and to comfort them and care for them as after they had done him so wrong? He remembered the dream. 
He said, it wasn't you doing this. You was just a tool. Now, I know you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. Say, boy, preacher, listen, if you see the big picture, you can forgive the offense. Now, if you're still not convinced, let's go to the second thing. Number one, what did I want you to see? I want you to see the picture that explains. Then number two, I want you to see the pardon that expects. Peter, Peter in his life, he came to Christ. He thought he was doing good. He really thought he had, you know, he was trying to be spiritual. And he said, I tell you what, because most of the Jewish tradition was you get forgiven three times, three strikes and you out. So Peter went beyond that. He went beyond that, thought he was really going above and beyond the call of duty. He says, how many times should I forgive my brethren? Seven times? Jesus said, no, seven times, 70. I can imagine Peter's jaw dropped to the ground. What are you talking about? How in the world? That means what Jesus was saying is an unlimited amount. You should never stop forgiving your brother. There's no limits. Aren't you glad there's no limits to God's forgiveness to us? Aren't you glad God didn't write down a note and say, okay, I will forgive you up until here. And that's all. God says, I will wash your sins away. Come unto me. Listen, come unto me. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He said, Lord, no. There should be an unlimited amount. And then he tells this story. He tells the story of a king who had, who had people working under him, accountants working under him. And this accountant, he was, he was embezzling money, stealing money. And he owed a, a, a debt that could not be paid back. It was an astronomical number that it was a physical impossibility for him to go out and make the kind of money to pay this king back. And this man got on his knees and said, Oh, please, king, please don't throw me in the debtor's prison. Please don't put me away. Please, let, I will pay everything back, even though he knew he couldn't. King said, Don't sweat it. He felt for this man, he had compassion and said, hey, I just, I'm going to just forget it. I'm going to just forgive it. I'm just going to say the debt is not there. He said, oh, he went out. The same man, the same man went out and somebody owed him a small, insignificant amount that didn't amount to a hill of beans. And he took him by the throat and said, pay me what thou owest. Pay me what thou owest. And threw him into prison. And you know what the man said? The same thing he said to the king. Please don't. Please have mercy on me. I will. Just give me a little time and I will pay back all that I owe you. What was he asking for? The same thing he desired. And he threw him into prison, but his friends heard about it and went and told the king. And the king was angry. The king came to him and said, Oh, thou wicked, wicked servant. He said, The same thing you asked for me and I granted for you, you're not willing to grant to your fellow brother. He threw him into the prison and turned him over to the tormentors. And I believe there is a great comparison right there, Brother Bo, to the, the bitterness that people go through. That's their tormentors. They're tormented every time when they don't offer forgiveness, just like Mr. Wizenthal, who will not forgive, and he's tormented every day of his life. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. It may not, it may not help you to see the big picture in your time of forgiveness. It may not help you to forgive that person that hurt you so bad when you see that, but when you see this, this will help you. Because when it comes to forgiveness, God wants us to remember the forgiveness that we have received. He's telling us this story about a man who owed such a great debt that could not be paid. He was flatly forgiven, but he was not willing to forgive somebody that, somebody that had done something against him. And this is what I want you to see. There needs to be a recognition 
of forgiveness received. The man said, the Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all of that debt because thou desirest me. You know who that person is? That person is me and you. We have been forgiven of such an incredible debt, of such a debt that could not be paid. Preacher, what are you saying? We need to get it out of our mindset that it was the Roman soldiers that done it, or it was the Jewish people that done it. You and me put Christ on that cross. He was bruised for my sins. He was bruised for my iniquities. He was hung on a cross for my disobedience and the sin in my life. This is the picture I want you to draw. I want you to put that hammer in your hand. I want you to put that spike in your hand. I want you to put that cat of nine tails in your hand. I want you to look at yourself as the one that saw him there bleeding and butchered like an animal. And it was you that was hitting him. It was you that was lashing him. It was you that was driving the spikes into his ankles and into his hands. It was us that did it. And no man has ever done to you what you did to Christ. I don't care what has happened to you. I don't care what you have gone through. And I'm telling you, when you tell me, I'll cry with you. I I shed a lot of tears in that office this week because there were some awful things. But I'm telling you, not one thing said to me in here was as awful as what our sins and what we did to Christ so we could be free. And when you see your pardon. Because of that pardon, God expects us to pardon our brother. Because compared to what he forgave us, it can't be compared to what somebody else has done to us. Are y'all with me? Listen, the pardon it expects, I want you to see this. There's a recognition of forgiveness received. You need to recognize when it comes time, when you have that feeling in your heart, when you've approached this brother or sister or this situation, they may be dead and gone and you may not be able to talk them straight in the eye, but you need to forgive them anyhow. And when you come to that time, you need to realize, hey, I've been forgiven of something a whole lot worse than this in my life. God has forgiven me of such a great debt. I need to forgive. I need to forgive. In this story, we see there's a recognition of forgiveness received, but then there's a readiness to forgive repeatedly because of our pardon, because of what God has done for us. God expects us to offer forgiveness repeatedly over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. Matthew 18.33 Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee? We need to be ready to forgive. Ready to let it go. Ready to give it to God. Church, say amen. Lastly, what was number one? Tell it back to me. Number one, I want you to see the... Can you see the big picture this morning? That no matter what somebody's done to you, God can turn it around for your good. No matter what has happened in your life, God can turn it around. And God does have a plan. Not only the picture that explains, number two, what was it? The pardon that expects. Because of what God has done for us, He expects us to share it with others. Now, number three. This is the nitty gritty. This is what's really going to help you. I want you to see the presence that encourages. The presence that encourages. Aaron, throw me one of them bottles. I think I, whichever bottle that I drank out of, one of them. Yeah, that's the one. Just throw that up here for just a second. The 
presence. That's why I don't play football. Say amen. There was another situation in the Bible. A man by the name of Stephen. How many of y'all have heard of him? Stephen was a preacher and a good one. He was preaching a message and, and the Jewish people got angry with him because he convicted them in their heart. They come against him and the Bible said they gnashed on him with their teeth. In other words, they were gnawing on him, biting him. This is in the book of Acts. Go read it. They took him outside the city and began to stone him. I don't know if you know what stoning is, but they would take rocks, stones big enough to throw like baseballs and continuously throw at the person till they are beaten and brutally, listen, brutally killed. Bones would break. Listen, blood would pour out of everywhere. Every time a stone would hit, they'd be bleeding from everywhere. And you could almost hear the bones pop when stones and boulders would would land on them and, and strike them at a close distance. And Stephen is standing there because of his faith, because of his message, because he did what God told him to do. And he was being brutally, brutally murdered. And as he's bleeding, I can see this, his face probably just covered with blood. Probably maybe a broken nose, broken cheekbone, broken fingers and hands as this was happening to him. The Bible said that he looked up and he saw the glory of God. He looked up and saw, listen, something that I want you to see. And he said this, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. How? He's being murdered. I mean, the, the greatest thing, that, or the, the, the worst thing that could ever happen to you, and I'm not talking about quickly or fast, I'm talking about a slow, agonizing death. He is being murdered. And he says, Father, Lay not this sin to their charge. What was he doing? He was forgiving them. He was forgiving them. He was letting it go. But how did he do it? How was he able to say that bleeding in the process of being murdered? This is what he seen. He saw the Lord. He saw the Lord in, an, in, in, an, in a way that he had never seen him before. When he was in his darkest hour, when he was in his greatest time of need, when he was at the greatest point in his life he needed to forgive, there was an awareness seen. There was an awareness seen. He looked up and seen that God knew exactly what was going on. God was well aware of the situation. God knew what was happening to him. He, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. Listen, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. What does that tell us? What does that mean? That means that God is aware of your hurt. God is well aware at the level of pain that you're going through because of the offense that has come against you. God knows every feeling that you have. God knows every sorrow, every tear that ever comes out of your eyeballs. God is well aware of your situation. God knows it. The Bible says He wanted to show us and prove to us that He was a high priest who could feel our infirmities. And when He went in the room, when they were mourning over the death of Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible says, 
Jesus wept. Why? Not because he was weeping for Lazarus. Because he knew in just a few moments he was going to walk in that grave and call him forth. It was not about that. It was not for the death. It was not for Lazarus. It was not for the situation. It was to let all them people know that I feel your pain. I know what you're going through. I will weep when you weep. I will bear your burden. I am well aware of your need. I need a witness. And in your darkest hour, Jesus knows. In your greatest need, Jesus knows. He knows our need before we ever ask Him. And when you're sitting there with the task of forgiving somebody who's raped you, somebody who's murdered your friend or murdered your family member, or in a drunk driving accident killed one of your children, Listen, when you're sitting there having to forgive somebody of that nature, don't you ever forget that God is standing right beside you and He knows what you're feeling. Stephen, while being murdered and bleeding and butchered and battered, he's standing there and says, Father, lay not the sin to their charge. He's saying, forgive them. Forgive them. Because he recognized God knew what he was going through. But then this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. Listen, when you see His presence that encourages, you need to know He's aware. He's aware. He knew that Jesus knew what He was going through. But then I want you to see this. He not only could see that there was awareness, but He could see that there was an active support. Say that with me. There was a... Watch this. Watch this. Boy, this is good. Matthew said, don't just look at me. Don't turn to these things. Just look at me. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Did y'all hear that? What did he do? He sat at the right hand of God. Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Hebrews 1.3 Who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding the things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen, Hebrews 8.1 Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews 10.12 But this man, after he had offered sacrifices for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Do you see something that keeps happening? He is sitting. He is sitting. Which means a finished work. The priest could never sit because he continuously had to offer sacrifices. But when Jesus offered the final sacrifice, he sat down because it was done, it was finished. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You say, why is that important? Why do I need to hear that? Because let me tell you what Stephen saw. He didn't see somebody sitting down. The Bible says when he looked up being full of the Holy Ghost, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Why was he standing? Because Jesus will not sit down while one of his children is going through a difficult hour. Jesus will be on your side. I'm glad my Lord will stand by me. 
And He is actively in support of who you are. He is actively involved in your life. He is actively helping you to forgive. It will not be your forgiveness. It will be His forgiveness through you. And every time you have to forgive, God is going to stand up on your behalf and says, I will go with Jeff and help him do this deed because I know in His own power and His own ability He can't get the job done. So I will help Him get it done. I'm not even going to be able to talk in the next service. Amen. This thing has been eating me up all week. I've been dying to tell you that you don't have to forgive by yourself. When you look at the mirror and you say, I can't do this, I can't do this. You're right, you can't, but He can with you. We talked about Mr. Wisenthal, who because of his unforgiveness, he even went to talk to the man's mama. Because he was still shook up about what he didn't do. Are you going to leave this building? Are you going to leave this building with still unforgiveness in your heart? And be haunted by it the rest of your life? I read another story. Brother Jeff of another Nazi concentration camp survivor. Her name was Corey Tinboom. <laughs> oh, Mercy through some of the most awful things watched her sister die of a cruel death right in front of her watched her father be killed she sat there and she tells her own story and I say this and we're going to pray on arrival at Ravensbrook which was the concentration camp there the women were marched into a processing center for new arrivals here they had to pile all their belongings in the center of the room and strip naked and also add their clothes to the pile Naked, they had to walk under the bright lights and pass the scrutiny of a dozen guards toward the shower room. By this stage, Betsy, her sister, was emaciated and quite ill. The Bible became Corey's only comfort, and daily she would read from it to herself and to the other women. Thus, in that evil hellhole, Corey's faith blossomed. And on, all the time, she watched her sister get sicker and die, an agonizing death, but never once wavering in her faith. Corey's life as a missionary began shortly after the war ended. She traveled from place to place talking about God's love and about forgiveness. And here are Corey's own words as she relates to the experience of having to practice what she was preaching. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center of Ravensbrook. And you could imagine as a woman how that would feel. The humiliation, the shame. When I saw him, suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. He came up to me as the church was empty and beaming and bowing. It was the first time since my release that I'd been face-to-face with one of my captors. My blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, Fraulein, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase the terrible death that she went through just by asking? How grateful I am of your message, Fraulein, he said. To think 
to think that as you say, He has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I who had spoken so often to the people in the, the places I have been, the need to forgive, I kept my hand by my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled within me, I saw the sin of them. Watch this statement. Jesus Christ had died for this man, and was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me, and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile, and I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. So again, I breathe a silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my sole shoulder along my arm through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. With Corey's willingness came God's power to forgive her former captor. I discovered that it is not our own forgiveness any more than our own goodness that this world's healing hinges, but on His. When He tells us to love our enemies, He gives, along with the command, the love itself. Watch this statement. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I'm going to forgive them when I feel like it. Well, you'll never do it. I'm going to forgive them when I get over this. When I get over this, I'm going to... No, no, no. If you don't forgive them, you'll never get over it. And the only way over it is forgiveness. And what I'm telling you today, if you'll take the first step, if you will quit waiting till you feel it, if you'll quit waiting till you want to, if you'll just say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know. I, I, I just can't do this, but God, I know you can. If you will help me and just take the first step and be willing to do it, God will flood your heart with the ability to make it happen. You can stop fighting. You can stop it. And instead of bitterness in your heart, instead of anger in your heart, instead of revenge in your heart, God will fill it with love. God will fill it with grace. God will fill it with joy. You'll come in burdened so down and so heavy with what you've been carrying for so long, but boy, when you let it go, and you'll walk three foot off the ground because He's the only one that can take it from you. But you've got to be willing. You've got to say, God, I, I don't know if I can, but I know you can. Just help me. Stick out that hand. Are you going to leave like Mr. Weisenthal and live the rest of your life not enjoying your life? Chasing something you'll never find. Or are you going to leave today like Corey and have that joy and peace that you've never felt before? I'm telling you, nobody is as much like Christ or as closer to Christ as when they are forgiving. Church, say amen.
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know this is appropriate and I know this is needed. God, help us today. God, help us today. Lord, I pray that you'll bring healing today. God, I pray that you'll bring a touch. 